0: They've already made it to Canada. They're strong people. They're just in a tough spot. And so our job is to, as you say, walk alongside them and just give them pointers to help them navigate the new system. But just to love them and and for them to know that they have a home in Canada.
1: Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Shalane. We're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Today we
2: have the pleasure of sitting down with Richard Belcham, Executive Director of In Much.
1: Richard is a passionate advocate for refugee claimants and loves finding ways to give them the very best start to their new lives in Canada.
2: Richard has an extensive background in HR, corporate communications, and marketing. Originally from the UK, Richard immigrated to Canada in 2011 and has been a resident of the Fraser Valley ever since
1: and he's no stranger to podcasts. In fact, Richard hosts a monthly podcast sharing the stories of people who have sought refuge in Canada called Along the Way. Welcome here, Richard. Thank you. It's great to be here.
2: Yes. Thanks so much for joining us, Richard. I'm excited that we can have this conversation with you today.
0: It's going to be good.
2: Mm-hmm. Richard, if you have listened to any of the podcasts that we've done, you'll know that one of the places that we prefer to start is just to hear your perspective on poverty. So if you wouldn't mind finishing the sentence for us, poverty is.
0: Yeah, Uh, poverty, when I think about poverty in my particular role around uh, working with asylum seekers and refugee claimants, I would say poverty is the inability uh, due to systemic barriers for people seeking asylum to find meaningful lives in their new country quickly mm. There's quite a lot to unpack there. Oh. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> I was going
2: to say, would you like to un- unpack any of that?
0: <laughs> yeah. So when when folks come to Canada and they're seeking refugee protection, they don't fall in the traditional role of refugees. And refu- when people think about refugees, they think about perhaps government-sponsored refugees. When, for instance, Justin Trudeau welcomed 25,000 Syrians to Canada. And those folks are are processed outside of Canada. They come to Canada uh, as permanent residents. So they have all the the services and rights available to them as permanent residence, whether it's the ability to learn language, to go to school, to pay domestic student fees, not international fees, those kind of things. And that's true also of privately sponsored refugees, the amazing scheme that Canada has for communities and faith groups to sponsor refugees to come to Canada. They also arrive as permanent residents. But for asylum seekers and people who have made their way to Canada to claim refugee protection, they have none of those rights. They come mm. and they're without status in the country. They have to apply to go through quite an extensive legal process. They can, usually about two or three months after they arrive, they can finally get access to a work permit. But if they wanted to go to school, they, they would have to pay international rates. Mm. And then there's the generic issues that all newcomers have, but it's particularly true of refugee claimants. The When they apply for a job, they have a temporary SIN number, so the HR department won't necessarily recognise the paperwork they have. Mm. They can't easily open a bank account. Mm. They can't easily access some of the things that we're all used to doing. And even as a newcomer to, to try and navigate, for refugee claimants, every step is a hard step, and every step often features the word no. And mm. so... I think for me, poverty is, is that inequality of access and the fact that there's all kinds of systemic things tucked away that they don't understand. And so one of the clearest ones is when employers ask for Canadian experience. Mm-hmm. And that's a kind of almost like a hidden racism that mm-hmm. people in Canada will judge Canadian experience above and beyond what other people have done. And they may have fantastic experience from around the world, but because it's in from Kenya or from Eritrea or from somewhere else, they're not able to work in the field that they come from. And to give you an example, uh, we recently worked with a guy who was a state prosecutor in a South American country, prosecuting gangs and cartels, incredibly able guy. And he's working on a production line in a manufacturing company because mm. he's unable to get those things that he needs in order to succeed. I think of uh, uh, an orthopedic surgeon who's currently working with the Red Cross in uh, northern Manitoba on the vaccination scheme with the Red Cross because that's all he can get in his field even though Mm. he's run a field hospital. So those kinds of things really impact the ability of people to become successful and integrate into their new countries.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm very excited to talk more about how your organization specifically, you know, is equipped to help, Mm -hmm. you know, the population that you're referring to. And maybe it will be helpful for our listeners who aren't familiar with In As Much. How about we start with the name? How did you come up with that name? and, And why does that stand out to you or matter to you?
0: Well, uh, it wasn't me that came up with the name, just so <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to lay claim to that one. Um, but much comes from from Matthew 25:40, when Jesus is talking about marginalized people in society and how when you take care of them, you take care of him. And the phrase is, inasmuch as you did for the least of these, you do it for me. And so that's where mm-hmm. inasmuch comes from, and that's our guiding principle. Um, we've been given so much and generously given that we choose to to give it to others and to serve others. And the ones that we've been called to serve are asylum seekers and refugees.
2: Mm. Beautiful. I would uh, love to have you share a little bit more, Richard, about what does that actually look like? How do you serve these people who are mm. so vulnerable?
0: That's a, that's a great question. The The way we do it is... His, It's several fold. We have two large transition houses here in Abbotsford and we look after people and house them for the first six months of their, or up to six months, some come for a shorter time, in transition housing. So that looks like a family home that's shared with a host and they look after the day-to-day things and then we provide all the wraparound support. So we do, uh, we have a full ESL program of Canadian cultural English and we help people get ready to navigate the money system to employment to just how to how to make a success using English in in the culture because we all know Canada likes to say please and thank you and sorry and several times <laughs> in one sentence and for some people that's that's an alien concept for me from Britain we're used to over apologizing so it's great <laughs> so we do that and we also we also have a full employment program Preparedness series of workshops that we work people through. We help them through on budgets. We have big community dinners where folks who have been through the houses come back together and can see each other, or we did before COVID. That's Mm. uh, changed things around a bit. Mm. And we do all the regular things that people need to start their lives in Canada. We help them open bank accounts. We help with all the forms and the processing. And we go to their hearings with them if they want us to, All, all of that kind of thing. And our whole approach is a family approach. That's the, when people come to In As Much, they come and they become members of our kind of extra, ex, strange and extended family. Mm. And um, I'll be honest, some in in the world of refugee settlement, people talk about wraparound support, the importance of wraparound mm-hmm. support. And for us, In As Much, the most important wraparound support you can give someone is a hug. And mm. so that's, that's our approach.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I love I love that aspect of living in community because it sounds like mm-hmm. there's a a level of really just walking alongside someone as opposed to just saying here's something that you can do differently. It's actually, oh, I'll
0: I'll be there with you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when people come to Canada, they, they've they already made it halfway across the world. They've already been standing up in their country for what they believe, perhaps, or they've been imprisoned mm-hmm. for something that they stood against their government for, or they faced some pretty terrible and traumatic things. And then they've made it to Canada. They're strong people. They're just in a tough spot. Yeah. And so our job is to, as you say, walk alongside them and just give them pointers to help them navigate the new system, but just to love them and and for them to know that they have a home in Canada. It might not look like the home they really want to be in, but it is a home and there's a safe space and there's people who are willing to walk with them, to help them, to show them how to succeed and, and then celebrate their successes and to laugh with them and cry with them and be with them through the dark times, because there are dark times. And yeah. and settling in a new country is tough at the best of times. But when you've been through what some of those have been through, it's years and years and years before you can begin to trust, you can begin to settle, and you can begin to rebuild.
2: Mm-hmm. Richard, I remember coming to one of your volunteer training sessions and feeling like a lot of stereotypes of refugees were really dispelled in that. So wondering if you could speak to that a little bit.
0: Yeah, of course. When when you look in the media and you read the newspapers and you look online, how people describe refugees and refugee claimants and people crossing the border, they tend to lump everybody together in a way that's probably unhelpful. And they tend to think of refugees as being poor coming from war-torn Syria, mm-hmm. um, from disaster zones, and they have nothing left. And that is born in some reality, that the people in Syria, which used to be such a, an amazing cosmopolitan country with mixes of people and so on, until the war came... Uh, and they are f- fleeing that but refugee claimants who are the the folks we look after the asylum seekers they have often been the change makers in their country they're the women's rights activists in Iraq who have stood up against female genital mutilation and mm. honor killing mm. they're the people mm. in Eritrea who have stood up against corrupt and evil governments who are trying to take from their fellow country people they're the people who have worked in refugee camps. They're the people who have worked on both sides of a conflict. Uh, the medics, we, there's a woman that we've worked with from a country in Africa who was serving both sides of a conflict as a nurse. And because she refused to differentiate between both sides, hmm. they came for her, they burnt down her clinic and they burnt down her home. And hmm. she had to flee, leaving her children behind to come to Canada to find safety and eventually be able to bring her kids to safety Wow! so when you go behind the headlines and you go behind the statistics and you don't lump people together you find that there's stories there that are so compelling and so important that it changes hearts and minds and and that's really why we do what we do we We do it because there's people who need our help, and there's people who need that support, but we do it because every life is worth something. Every life is important. Mm. And I think, without wishing to sound like I'm on a soapbox, I get frustrated when I hear people lump groups together, the poor, the marginalized, the homeless, refugees, because it takes away from each of those individual stories. And so when you hear people talking about, oh, refugees are like this, or homeless people are all like this, mm-hmm. you lose the humanity and you lose the fact that, and if you believe it, and we do, that we are created in God's image, then the homeless guy in the tent, the asylum seeker irregularly crossing the border, the person who's died of an overdose, they're all made in God's image. And we have a duty as to care for them, and it's it's really quite simple. I guess mm. some people talk uh, when I talk to people, they go, "Oh, you're such a social justice Christian," <laughs> and I, the first time I heard it, I, I did a double take, and I was like, well, "I don't mm. understand what you mean," because when I read the gospel, that was clearly what we're called to do. It wasn't being a social justice Christian; it was being a Christian. And maybe that's um, a naive way of looking at it, but to me, that's that's what keeps me driving forward.
1: Mm. I like that. We shouldn't distinguish between those two. I've actually never thought of it that way before. <laughs> Richard, as you're saying this, it sounds like meaningful work and it sounds like intense mm-hmm. work at times and probably quite hard work as well. And I'm wondering for you personally, how has your perspective changed? How has how have you been impacted and changed being a part of this work? Because I just can't imagine you would stay the same after, after doing this. No.
0: When I think back the past five, six years that I've been involved in Much, and I've had quite an eclectic role. I started as a volunteer. I then joined the board. Uh, I then became settlement worker and finally ED. So I feel like I've, mm-hmm. I've had a good, good cross-section. But when I think back to the first time I came to Inasmuch and met the folks... And I used to grab a box of cinnamon buns on a Saturday morning and just come and sit with folks and have coffee and eat cinnamon buns. And we all used to laugh at each other's accents and the stories that people (laughs) told. And it was just, it was a joyful thing. But Mm. seeing the pain behind people's eyes and seeing and hearing some of the extraordinary journeys that people have come on in order to find safety, Mm. you can't help but think, well, what if it was me? Mm-hmm. and sure, I'm a newcomer to Canada but I speak English and I'm white and I have a name that doesn't look peculiar mm. and so I'm already privileged if you, if you mm-hmm. will, in mm-hmm. that respect yeah. but the folks who came to Inners much haven't had those advantages and so they're fighting to succeed and just being able to sit with someone and they share their story with you is such an honour um, you can't help but being moved by it, and I'll admit, I was I was very comfortably off. I had a very good job. I had a seat at the table, at the leadership table. I drove a sports car. I lived in a very, you know, my wife and I lived in a very nice apartment, and it it was very very uncomfortable hmm. because of the contrast. And so, over the the period of time, we moved from our, our apartment to a, an apartment in Abbotsford to be closer to the house. Uh, my wife gave up her job at SFU in order to set up the ESL program. And it became very clear to me that that's where I should be. So I took a, a fairly radical decision three years ago to quit the corporate life and and sell the car and, and do all of those things. Not because I'm fam- fantastic, not because I'm better than anyone else and I would hate... Any listener to think that I'm some kind of saint, because if you ask any of my friends or family, they'll tell you very clearly I'm not. <laughs> um, but I did it because it it is important work, and I wanted to be able to walk with folks on that journey. I wanted to be able to make a difference in in a small way, because if you look at the statistics, there's 68, 70 million displaced people in the world, and 24 million of those are refugee claimants. Can I solve all of that? No. But can I change and help the life of one person in Abbotsford who's seeking safety? Yeah, I can do that. And so why wouldn't I? Mm. So, yeah, it's changed me. It's made me uh, very vocal about issues around asylum and refugee um, claimants. It's not something I ever thought I would do. It was never on my radar. And I think it's probably changed the way I look at other people. It's changed the way I value things, inevitably. Yeah.
2: Mm. Richard, we first met when I was contacting Inasmuch about joining as a collaborator on the endingpovertytogether.org. Mm-hmm. And it's just so clear to me the alignment that Food for the Hungry and Much have as I hear you talking about how you've been changed, we, mm. we use the term and our listeners will have heard us speak about mutual transformation. When we walk with individuals, we are all changed if we mm. are walking in that right relationship. And so I really appreciate you sharing your journey in that as well, because mm. um, it just really resonates with who we are as an organization and what we believe.
0: I think it's really clear when you walk with with marginalised people, with the people on the edges of society, the people who are disenfranchised, who could so easily fall between the cracks, the people who society doesn't value or care for, or or lift up. Oddly enough, I think if you're looking for Jesus and you can't find him, that's where you'll find him, mm-hmm. because that's where he is. That's who he cares about, and. Yeah, as I say, maybe it's, I'm I'm not a theologian, I'm not a scholar of the Bible, but when you say, who is my neighbor, it's very clear who our neighbors is. And it's, yes, it's the person down the corridor who wants to borrow a cup of sugar from you in your apartment building, but it's also the people on the edges. It's also the people who are ignored and unloved and just un- un- unnoticed.
1: Hmm. Well, so far, this has already turning into such a beautiful conversation. So thank you so much already for your perspective, Richard. Mm. Uh, To our listeners, as you're you're maybe Mm -hmm. chewing on what we're talking about today, please feel free to reach out to us with any questions that you have. The email address is podcast at fhcanada.org, and we can continue that conversation. Richard, just to shift gears a little bit Mm -hmm. to the I guess, to the more practical, it sounds a <laughs> bit weird to say the more practical level because we're talking about really practical, important things. But I'm curious to talk about what does it actually look like? And you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but what does it actually mm. look like or could you describe for us what the experience might be like for someone who is just arriving in Canada? So we can kind of picture that a
0: little bit more. Yeah, well, let me let me take an example of, of someone who came to in as much. She was a women's rights activist in uh, Northern Iraq. And she fought against female genital mutilation, against corruption and against honor killing. And she protested in the streets and she wrote articles and she stood up for what she believed in. And Mm. she's a diminutive figure. She's quite tiny and quite quietly spoken, but a a true force of nature. And. So she, she protested, and ISIS came for her, uh, or Daesh as, as it's known there. Hmm. And she and her husband had a very quick decision to make as to whether they would stay and be killed or to leave. And so they left, okay. and they they flew via Turkey, London, and thought they were going to claim refugee protection and asylum in in the states. So they landed in New York. They had an unfortunate incident in the first or second night of their hotel where their jewelry was stolen, someone broke in. Mm. And so, and they very quickly realized once they got there that the US is quite a hard place to survive and quite a hard place to claim refugee protection. And they had a very long journey ahead of them if they stayed. And then they heard about this place called Canada and they, they talk about it in that way that they'd never thought, that it never occurred to them that Canada might be a place to come. So eventually, uh, after a little while, they flew across to Seattle in the hopes they thought that there might be someone there to support them. They'd heard that there might be. There wasn't. And so they caught the bus to Blaine, Washington, and they basically ran through the brambles and the bushes of the border Mm -hmm. from the US to Canada. And they did that because of something called the Safe Country, Safe Third Country Agreement. And I don't want to go off at a tangent, but basically it says that if you land in, the, you should claim refugee protection in the first safe country you land in. And the truth of it is that the US is not a safe place necessarily to land in as a refugee claimant. Mm-hmm. And so... You're it's perfectly, it's not illegal to cross the border between border posts if you are claiming refugee protection. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they did. They crossed the border irregularly and they landed in Canada and they walked from Peace Arch Crossing to Stanley Park and oh. they had nowhere to go. So they spent the first two nights in the rain on a bench in the park oh. and until they got connected with a, an organisation called Immigrant Services of BC, ISS of BC, and then they they heard that there was this place called much in Abbotsford that might house them. And first of all, they had no clue what is this Abbotsford. They didn't know what Abbotsford was. They'd never mm. they'd never heard of it. But they had no choice. And so they uh, agreed to come. And so ISS put them on a the train. They knew that they had to get off at a stop called Mission where someone would meet them with grey hair and <laughs> wearing a yellow And they had their two bags and everything they brought with them. And they got on the train, not knowing what was coming, Hmm. and came to, were picked up by our founders at the time and brought to Inasmuch, where our founder had searched online to find out what. Kurdish people can't live without. And she discovered that it was a particular type of cardamom tea and Mm. thankfully superstore stocked it. So Mm. she put cardamom tea in a teapot and and glasses in the bedroom and welcomed them. Mm. And uh, the woman said, I can't believe you would do that, that you would Mm. know me and that that was a welcome. So they arrived and he spoke about three words of English, please thank you and sorry, and spent most of his time saying sorry. Hmm. She had a little more English and, and they started to build from there. And five years later, uh, they've had a little boy. She's now working in um, the field of women's rights and the ability for women to tell their stories in a in a particular project. And he finally, after five years, has managed to get back into his field of accounting. Hmm. And, and they've had a little boy and their, their lives are starting to open up and they're starting to build. Um, that's a very quick overview uh, of what it's like, and that that mirrors many stories of people who come.
1: And I just had a chance to Google the distance between the Peace Arch border crossing and Stanley Park. That's over fifty kilometers that that couple mm-hmm. walked.
2: Oh my goodness! It just strikes me as you tell that that there's a a lovely ending to that story, or mm-hmm. you know, point where they came to in as much, but how fraught with danger and pitfalls mm-hmm. and issues at any point in their mm-hmm. journey. It just sounds really quite yeah. terrifying, actually, to think of what they go through.
0: And there is, the reality is, there isn't always a happy ending. There's not always a welcome for people. Mm. Yeah. I think of a of a young guy I knew who came from Syria, who, again, campaigned against the regime, Um his sister-in-law was disappeared. He was out one night and uh, the street blew up around him. He was incredibly, mm-hmm. I mean, amazing story. He came via the States, but when he landed in Vancouver, because he was a single man, he was put into a homeless shelter in the downtown east side and re-traumatized. He already had PTSD, but re-traumatized. Mm-hmm. Mm. The shelter worker did a great a great thing and tried to move him into the Fraser Valley to a safer place, uh, and they moved him to Mission. And unfortunately, he was put in another shelter where it, they had it was like a, ha- a halfway house and people coming out of the correctional facility. Mm. And one night he was w- awoken by his roommate um, being attacked by someone who in in the shelter trying to kill him. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so you get trauma onto trauma onto trauma and and folks who have done the right thing in protesting in their own country of standing up for what they believe in come to what they see as a safe country and then find there's this they don't count and that mm-hmm. there isn't a, there isn't many people standing up for them there is to give you some boring statistics there's about before covid there are about 4000 people who came as refugee claimants to BC, there's about fifty transition beds at any one time available for them mm-hmm. in transition housing. Mm-hmm. And there is no shelter for single men. None at all. Other than the other than the regular shelters with you know the issues that folks are dealing with there. And mm-hmm. that's not to take away from those issues. Those issues are equally important. Mm-hmm. But when people, when it's new to someone and they don't understand, they come from a culture where um, substance use is, is, isn't is a thing, mm-hmm. it's very, very shocking and it can re-traumatize. So those mm-hmm. are some of the issues that people deal with. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: What would be some of the supports that are out there when you're talking about, I mean, I, obviously the word that catches my ear there is the trauma, the PTSD. Mm how does in as much either in house or by referral mm-hmm. where do you begin in terms of addressing that aspect of people's stories well
0: everything we do is informed by trauma or the possibility mm-hmm. of trauma so as as a team we're very aware of that unsurprisingly and and how that can show itself so mm-hmm. for some people they may shut themselves away for hours days at a time because they can't process Others might want to talk and talk and talk and talk. Others might want to walk. Some throw themselves into study as a distraction. And our English program really helps people to do that. The one thing we discover is that maybe three months in, suddenly their ability to learn stops and they can't mm-hmm. retain things. And it's mm. because they've they've started processing what they've left. And, and your brain, there's only so much you can do. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, We understand that. And and so those are some of the things that we do. But we also have some great referrals to places like the Vancouver Association of Survivors of Torture, Mm. who do just amazing work in in psychological support for people. They have art therapy. They have one-on-one sessions. They have group sessions. They have survivor advocacy groups. and, And they do amazing work. And so we try and connect people if they want to. We try and connect people with their faith groups if that's a help to them. Uh, mm-hmm. depending where they come from. And sometimes it's just sitting with someone as they can't articulate how they're feeling and they just weep. And mm-hmm. and maybe the only support they need at that time is a hand on them um, mm-hmm. to know that they're loved and cared for. And, and, and we can't do anything else. We can't take away what they've been through. We can't remove their history, but mm-hmm. we can honor it and we can listen to it and we can walk with them and, and recognize it and hear their voices. Because that's really, and and it gets to the point where further down the line, people will trust and they will start to share their story. And that can be very cathartic. It can be very painful, Mm
2: -hmm. but it can be
0: very cathartic. And those stories are the ones that will change people's hearts and minds about who refugee claimants are.
2: Mm -hmm. Richard, you mentioned some resources that the refugee claimants can access Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what resources or books you would recommend for our listeners.
0: Oh, gosh, there's, there's so many books that tell refugee stories. There's Sharon, Sharon Bala wrote The Boat People, and that's, that's a, a novelized version of the story of the ship that came from Sri Lanka with 500 refugee claimants on board to Vancouver. That's very compelling. Mm. Uh, some of the work by Khaled Hosseini, is, is very compelling from telling the stories about what life is like in Afghanistan and the Middle East. Mm-hmm. But really, any, any memoir of someone who yeah. has done that journey would be a, an interesting book to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say for listeners if if you're not a an avid reader, then there are some films online there's youtube videos there's of course along the way podcast uh, there's lots of there's lots of ways that you can hear those stories and just put faces to the to the statistics and voices and history and and names
2: mm-hmm Thank you for mentioning Along the Way podcast again. We didn't want to leave. (laughs) Shameless
0: plug, sorry. Yes, that's all
2: right. Well, to just add to that shameless plug, where exactly can people find that podcast?
0: Yes, it's available on the web at Along the Way Stories, or if you search for Along the Way or my name, you'll find it from all good podcasters.
2: Excellent. Thank you.
1: Well, Richard, I've appreciated this conversation so, so much, Mm. Um, something that's standing out to me uh, that I think will be, I mean, there's so much more than just one simple takeaway, but something that's really striking me is the the importance of story, mm-hmm. uh, the importance of, okay, we see these numbers. We see, even in my memory, there's there's just that memory of, oh, right, the the Trudeau 25,000. Like there's this, mm-hmm. f- these numbers stick in our brains and, or in my brain at least. And I agree with you that it is so important to look underneath the numbers that each of those numbers represents one person and Mm -hmm. each person has an entire robust, there's so much more to that person and their story Mm -hmm. than just that they are a statistic or they're lumped in with this, with this number. So I really appreciate you bringing that up and and Mm -hmm. sharing that with us today. That's definitely something that I'm going to be chewing on and taking Mm -hmm. away from today.
2: Would you, in addition to telling us where people can find you, mm-hmm. how about Inasmuch? How, what's yes. the best way for people to find out more about Inasmuch?
0: The best way is, uh, you'll not be surprised to learn, is to visit our website, which is www.inasmuch.ca. Okay. Or Google Refugee Abbotsford, anything like that will, will bring you here. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Great. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate your willingness to spend time with us. And I would just encourage our listeners to check out Richard's podcast to get to know more about In As Much. And like Eric mentioned earlier, if you have any questions listening today and you want to reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you as well. So thank you, Richard. Appreciate you you and appreciate all the work that you guys do.
0: Thank you, thank you. It's been lovely to see you both and to talk more and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to share the importance of looking after asylum seekers here in Canada. To explore what your next steps could be or find out more about
1: Much and what other Canadians are doing about poverty, start by checking out fhcanada.org slash resources.